Hi, thanks for tuning in to Women's Voices. My name is Genevieve Gluck, and in this episode, Jen Isaacson and I discuss misogyny and sexism in the police force, as well as a leading transgender psychologist's attempts to normalize paraphilias. We also have a segment called Nonswatch, and then we wrap up by talking about the double standard that exists between men's personal journeys towards selfhood and growth versus the double standards that get passed down on women. And as always, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can reach out to me at Women Read Women on Twitter or via email at contact at womens-voices.org. And Jen Isaacson is also on Twitter at Lesbian Labor. Hey, Jen, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, Genevieve? I'm good. What have you been up to lately? Well, I've been preparing for my Viva, which is uh, the defense of a PhD. So you get interrogated for about four hours. Um, It's about six months after I thought I was going to actually initially have my Viva. And other than that, I've launched my new online business, well, it's not really an online business. It's a side hustle, reselling popular trainers. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a big market. It's a $2 billion industry in the US alone. And it's really exploding in the UK. So wow. you, you, can, you manage to get very popular sneakers. You see, we've, I'm even using the terms, right? This is the cultural American imperialism <laughs> that I'm just bath- bathed in. Um, yeah so you buy them online and then you resell them at a higher price um once the second hand price goes up how's that working out is that working out well it's going quite well i've made a few hundred pounds but my hope is to eventually get it up to about a grand a month so there you go they're they're very difficult to get hold of the most desirable kinds so it's it's like um it's definitely uh, an occupation. You have to put quite a lot of time into it. So that's what I've been doing. Those two things mainly. What have you been up to? Um, I've just been kind of hanging around at home, uh, working on stuff for Redux. So uh, yeah, we've been pretty busy with that. As as maybe I mentioned before, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but we had some problems where Twitter, right out of the gate, Twitter was censoring our tweets. So it it, it, it was, uh, what's it called? A shat, not a shadow ban. It's like reply de-boosting. So people who quote tweeted it, it would disappear. Um, you wouldn't see the original tweet and things like that. So that had been going on for the last month, but uh, it looks like we're finally okay now. I have no idea what caused it. It's been kind of a nightmare, <laughs> but I think we're good. And, and it looks like we're doing pretty okay for our first month. Um, we've found plenty of things to talk about. There's no shortage of, of news items related to, to gender identity or pedophiles, <laughs> uh, the combination of which seem to just have so much in common. Um, that's, but yeah. also growing, that's also a growing industry. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, terribly, I shouldn't even laugh at that, but yeah, yeah, it's awful. It's really awful. Um, 
Um, but recently there was a bit of a scandal with the police, right? There were some leaked messages. So this is the first topic, which is um, first topic we're going to discuss, which is the, the Charing, I think it's specifically police at Charing Cross Station. So in central London, uh, the a bunch of officers there have, some have been sacked and some have been simply suspended and some have been reprimanded because leaked messages between them have got them into trouble basically. And it's this indication that again, there is a culture of institutionalized misogyny in the Metropolitan Police. Metropolitan, I think it pretty much means um, like city-based. So it's just a London and greater London area. I can read some of them out. So the first one uh, says, getting a woman into bed is like spreading butter. It can be done with a bit of effort using a credit card, but it's quicker and easier just to use a knife. Yeah. So that's the first. I remember this is the same force that Wayne Cousins was on. The really? Man who, yeah. The man who murdered, raped and murdered Sarah Everard. So he, he wasn't at Charing Cross Police Station, but he was in the, the Metropolitan Police. Okay. So that's a di it's a different division? but of the same. Yeah, it's like metropolitan just means all of London. Mm -hmm. And then specifically police are allocated to certain stations. And Wayne Cousins was actually a police officer who was in charge of guarding the American embassy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which meant he was entitled to have a machine gun whilst he was there. Wow. So yeah, he had quite a, like a higher trust level in the police basically. Wow. Yeah. So the second one is a Met police officer to a female colleague. So two police officers. I would happily rape you. I would actually hate fuck you. If I was single, I would happily chloroform you. So I, I guess this is like police flirting at work. You say, oh, if I wasn't in a relationship, I would absolutely chloroform and rape you. And then, you know, the, the woman who works there is meant to feel flattered or something. So that's that's another one that's been leaked. Are, are they being investigated for criminal behavior then for this? No, not criminal, just gross misconduct at work. So they've, some of them have been sacked. Okay. We don't know specifically which ones have been sacked. So we don't know which messages were, you know, regarded as simply, you know, get you a suspension which ones mean that you're absolutely fired from the police force or some of some of these have just had a reprimand. So a telling off. This is two police officers talking to each other. Two men He says, my bird won't stop taking the piss. Swear to God, I'm going to smack her. And then another one replies, slap her once, say you didn't. Yeah. Disgusting. It's really... It's incredible that these are the people that you're meant to go to if you face domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not just casual, not just casualizing it and not just kind of making, you know, mockery of it. They're actually suggesting it to each other. So the next one follows similar suit, says, I fucking need to take my bird out, making it up to her from when I backhanded her. Wow. Yeah. So this is a police officer saying, I hit my girlfriend, partner, whatever. So I need to make that up to her. Another one asks, you ever slapped your missus? It makes them love you more. 
Now I know why these daft cunts are getting murdered by their spastic boyfriends. Knock a bird about and she will love you. Human nature. They are biologically programmed to like that shit. Well, I think we know why the uh, rape conviction rates are so low now. Yeah. So. Isn't it's, it? It's, what's the what was the recent statistic about even the percentage that even get to trial? I mean. Oh, it was it, less than one percent. Yeah. So what do you think the outcome of this is going to be? I mean, this can't just be a problem within one division, right? This is a systemic problem in the police force. But do you think that that's going to be something that's going to be addressed now as a result of this? I honestly don't have much faith that anything really will happen. I know that Last week, the head of the Metropolitan Police, Cressida Dick, resigned. It wasn't specifically over this issue, but it was a, a, a host of issues. People have been calling for her to resign ever since the Sarah Everard case. I have very little faith in anything that could happen um, with the police. And I'll, I'll give an example why. In 1994, an 18-year-old black boy called Stephen Lawrence was murdered by five or six men who were had connections to the the far right and he was it was a, a racist murder he was murdered in Greenwich at a bus stop whilst waiting for a bus with his friend the police actually investigated his family and activists trying to get justice rather than look for the killers anyway eventually there was something called the the McPherson inquiry and it was found that the the Met police was institutionally racist however nothing much has really changed in the police culture there it's still a, a completely racist culture in the police so i do think it would be great if there was an inquiry into institution institutional misogyny in the police force but even if there was a result that said yes the police is institutionally misogynistic there's no precedent that that would make a huge difference um i just don't know i haven't really heard that there's any real measures Obviously, it's good that these messages were leaked and that some of the police officers responsible were sacked. But I don't I don't see that there's much of an appetite to do anything. I mean, that statistic is true that um, what is it? The police are the, the the category of job that is most likely to actually engage in domestic violence. I think it's 30 percent of police officers. Maybe the statistic is in the U.S., um, I'd need to check, but they're the number one profession for it. And I think second to that is something like boxing. And then third is something like the army. But the police is far and away the number one. And of course, it makes sense, right? I mean, who's you're so much less likely to call the police on um, your partner when they're domestically abusing you because they're a police officer. So... Right. I'm and you would already have some of the wherewithal about how to bypass getting in trouble. I mean, you would know how to yeah. handle the system. And I think that was found too last year. Uh, was it last summer or last autumn? It was the uh, Australian Queensland police were in a lot of trouble for ignoring cases of domestic violence and women uh, partic in particular, a few women had died as a result of having their cases ignored. And then because of this, there was a, an investigation into the Queensland police and then found 
that quite a large percentage of them were actually abusing their wives as well. So I don't, yeah, I don't think it's certainly not uh, limited to the UK. Yeah, it's difficult in regard to solution because it makes me all the more sympathetic to this call of defund the police. I mean, I don't know where that could go. And I still assume that even though we know the reality of the fact that the police don't do anything about violence against women, the speculation that something could happen, I assume does stop men from doing it as much as they would like. So it makes me think, oh, there is a a point in having even the perception of a justice system because it maybe makes people think twice or worry about getting in trouble but it's very clear that the funding that goes to the police is not in any way spent on protecting women and it's simply not a priority um one of the things we were gonna talk about a bit as well was the the con the overturning of the conviction of the young woman in cyprus who's convicted of lying to the police about getting gang raped and now it's been quashed because it was pressured and coerced out of her so even when women do go to the police you are generally the one either literally put on trial or made to feel put on trial so yeah it's it's hard i know that is in the 1970s jeremy corbyn who's one of the few politicians i i like um, he's an MP, socialist MP in the UK that used to lead the Labour Party. He suggested democratising the police. Now, I'm not quite sure what he meant, but I think he meant collectivising it, even internally, so that there was oversight and therefore there'd be less police corruption and less cover-ups. Now, of course, if they're all kind of in it together, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that at all, right? If they're all OK with things like domestic violence being covered up or this kind of, you know, culture of making these sort of um, comments uh, as in the leaked the leak text messages. I, I feel like, I mean, it's just incredible. I don't know if you heard that case of the two women sisters, two mixed race sisters, um, so black women that were murdered in a park and then their bodies were found a few days later. This was also the London police and the police took selfies with the bodies and put them in a WhatsApp chat and those police have been sacked. But the mother of those girls has kind of been, had to do this big campaign. She's been on the BBC calling for justice saying that, you know, it was so awful that her daughters got murdered in the first place, of course, obviously, but then to have their bodies basically desecrated and made fun of. I mean, I just don't know who, what kind of psychopaths would take a selfie with a dead body. And it's so odd to me that you would ever behave like that in such a serious, you know, morbid, tragic situation. But that's what, this is the type that the police force attracts. I'm, I'm just speechless, honestly. That's so disgusting. I, yeah. And then it makes you wonder too, you know, how, well, have they done this before? How often do they do that? So, I mean, because in order to get to a place where you think that that's okay, you yeah. have to have already been doing it to begin with, I would imagine. Well, exactly. How many WhatsApp chats? I mean, I'm in a bunch of WhatsApp chats. I don't believe any of the messages have ever been leaked. So this must be happening constantly in order for, for them to get caught once. 
Um, and the, the names of those women, it was Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman. And they took selfies and referred to them as dead birds. So bird in British slang is like an equivalent of the American chick. So, oh, actually two of them were jailed. They didn't just get sacked. They, they were actually jailed. Oh, good. Good. So there's a lot of public outcry at the moment against the police for various things. But unfortunately, I'm not sure that they are reformable because it's just the, the police have been like this for so long. And I've not really seen much evidence that, oh. the, that there will be a shift, hopefully. So whilst we're on the topic of Britain, yesterday there was news that Prince Andrew is going to pay £12 million to the woman who was sex trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein when she was 17. And Prince Andrew, according to Florida law, statutory raped her, basically. I, I believe that's the allegation. And it, it's quite funny that prior to this, he said that he didn't know who this woman was. Um, he, he, came, he actually did an interview on television that was just ridiculous where he said that on the night that she alleges they had sex, he was in a restaurant called Pizza Express in Reading. And he also disputes some of her details about the sex. Like she said that he, he sweats profusely and he said, oh, well, that's a known thing about me. I can't sweat. <laughs> I mean, just like really, a really wow. ludicrous interview. Uh, that he, you know, clearly thought was um, was going to get him somewhere. But this, so this is Prince Andrew, who is the second son of the Queen, I believe. And he's now. I know that. So he's known as the Duke of York. The city of York is wanting him stripped of his title. I believe he's been stripped of some of his other titles already by the Queen. The Queen, over the initial allegations, actually cancelled his 60th birthday party at the palace but it seems like he's pretty much going to be de facto kind of kicked out of the royal family in terms of royal duties. But then there's a huge question now about where's he getting this 12 million pounds from because there's speculation that he doesn't actually have that much money. And then people think, well, is this going to be subsidized then by the queen or by his brother, Prince Charles, who's very likely to be king one day. And, and everyone, you know, obviously dislikes the thought of this um because he should have to kind of cough up the money himself uh so at the moment the leader of the Labour Party here Kirstama has called for greater transparency as to exactly who is footing this payout basically so this is to avoid a trial in New York otherwise he was she was pursuing him civilly Virginia Giffrey I think yeah it's uh it's incredible and we don't have that many royal scandals nowadays but this is definitely up there on the the royal scandal Richter scale well correct me if I'm wrong but wasn't it uh the case that he was protected from being charged because mm. of a document that uh Virginia had signed some time ago and in particular it used the word royal so that a royal could not be charged in this matter or something along those lines which was then what prompted uh i believe the queen to to disavow him in order for the case to go ahead is that right 
I'm not sure about that particular detail. My understanding was that the Jeffrey Epstein got a lot of his victims to sign kind of non-disclosure agreements and agreements that under the terms of a, pre- a previous payout, say a payoff basically to make other cases go away, that they could no longer bring charges against anyone. So perhaps that did specifically include royals, but I think it also covered everybody uh, who was ever involved with Jeffrey Epstein. Now, I don't think it's that Virginia Giffray, I'm just trying to say her name properly. I don't think it's that she necessarily got that annulled. It's just that it, given the extent of Jeffrey Epstein's, you know, sexual trafficking, basically sex trafficking of minors, um, the amount of interest there's been and the enormous scandal around it, I think it's sort of just been put to the side whatever anyone has signed previously people feel doesn't it doesn't really count so there was going to be a civil case anyway I believe my understanding of that is correct although maybe I don't have the details totally accurate but yeah so in in January um the queen stripped him of his titles and it was it was related to that non-disclosure agreement that was opened uh in court in January. And then it had specifically used the word royal. And so I think that that's what happened there. Yeah. Well, there's now lots of graffiti all around the UK saying Prince Andrew is a sweaty nonce, which I've taken some delight in, (laughs) even in such a terrible situation. But he can't sweat. He said so. Well, there you go. Apparently not. Yeah. Well, uh, it's kind of a shame, though, uh, that it's a settlement, you know, we would have hoped yeah, for something more than that. I would have liked all the details to come out. Exactly. However, it's probably very difficult to walk away from 12 million pounds. Mm-hmm. That's like, what, 18 million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, people tend to have their price and as it goes, 12 million is quite a high one. Yeah. And then to have to rehash all the details of the traumatic experience of your life, probably not that appealing either. Yeah, exactly. Also, he has effectively admitted it. So in the statement that was being, you know, poured over on the news today, there's bits of text that say things like Prince Andrew acknowledges that Virginia has, you know, been a victim of x y and z that she suffered huge emotional um and you know psychological distress from it for decades it was a very thorough statement that really did recognize her as a victim it just didn't name prince andrew as you know involved it says that he regrets any involvement he's had with jeffrey epstein i mean it's incredible that he says he doesn't even remember meeting her and there's a photograph of them together yeah, you can just, if a woman says something and she even has physical evidence of it, you can still deny it. Incredible. Yeah. And can I recommend to listeners, actually, one of the best insights I found on the Jeffrey Epstein saga is Eric Weinstein. And he basically talks about how Jeffrey Epstein was a bit of a, well, we know he's a shady figure, but he was a bit of a facade for other powers that be or whatever but he has he has he's met him and his reading of the situation is very good and it gives some explanation i think as to why say bill clinton has been on a plane 26 times with jeffrey epstein 
mean, that's an enormous amount of travel with someone, right? Who it's almost like, were they best friends or something? I mean, how many times do you hop into a plane with, with one particular person? They clearly knew each other quite well, um, but it really pitches his his role basically in the kind of American elite quite well. So yeah, it's Eric Weinstein's podcast, I think has a, a very good episode on Jeffrey Epstein that I'd recommend. Yeah, so our next topic is a BBC investigation, which found groups on Telegram sharing basically revenge porn of women uh, intending to harass and shame and blackmail them on a massive scale. The groups were found in 20 countries. Uh, There were a total of over 2 million members across all of the groups. Some of them also shared personal details like names, addresses, phone numbers of the women uh, whose photos they were sharing in the groups. And so as the BBC was conducting this investigation, they were approached by a Russian group offering them child sex abuse materials as well. That, and this astonishing thing about this report was that even after they had reported these accounts, no action was taken by Telegram. However, Telegram has been working to remove uh, accounts that they believe to be spreading misinformation or or terrorism-related accounts. But when it came to removing the pornography, even the CSA, there was no action taken. And it said in their report, uh, over two months passed. And it wasn't until they got into direct contact, basically saying, you know, we're we're investigating, uh, we're the BBC, and then action was taken after that. But yeah. Right. So an enormous amount of pressure and the threat of media coverage was the only reason that any of these people felt a moral imperative to do anything. Doesn't this sound remarkably like the Ninth Room scandal in South Korea? Mm -hmm. It does, yeah. Well, with the Ninth Room uh, so in Korean, it's called the Enbong scandal. Those videos were being done live for the performance of men in that group. So it's a little different. In principle, it's kind of the same. The blackmailing element is there as well. Um, but with with that situation, you had also you had like <sighs> torture, <laughs> uh, right. uh, girls being forced to carve things into their bodies um, for videos being shared in those channels. And that was Telegram as well. And yeah, and you know, we keep seeing this. I've been watching this happen over the past mm, two or three years now, I think. And you keep seeing these groups come up on Telegram that every about six months or so, maybe we get a news article about it. Look, another investigation. Look, it happened in China. Look, you know, and I, I kind of tried to tally all the countries and I got kind of frustrated because it was just ha- it seemed to be like happening all over the place. And the story would run and then nothing. You know, and the, the problem is that Telegram is data encrypted. So it's end-to-end encrypted, which means supposedly, you know, to be for the user's privacy, but we need to find a balance between having privacy and protecting women and children from this kind of abuse. There's AI that could be used, for example, to address this problem, 
But basically without the legal initiative, without the requirement, the companies are not going to, you know, self-impose this, especially when you have so many people who are drawn to their uh, product because this content is there. I mean, yeah, there's not necessarily even a much incentive financially. I mean, I, didn't, I thought there, were, there must be some oversight. I know there's encryption, but I assume this is a company worth quite a lot of money that has a lot of employees. But I just assume absolutely none of their resources are used towards things like safeguarding. I mean, I don't even know if the concept of safeguarding really exists outside the UK. Does it? <laughs> uh, that's kind of a difficult question for me to answer. Um, <laughs> I'm sure well, that, it, that, it, it, it does. It does, but it would be probably enacted, you know, differently according to different laws in different countries. But um, I, uh, of course, the concept of safeguarding exists, but whether or not it's enforced is the problem. You know, people might yeah. say they might talk about politicians will talk about these kinds of problems and then take no action, for example. Um, I don't think it does exist because with safeguarding, it doesn't have to be that there's a, an initial criminal element. It's sort of like 10 steps before ensuring that never does anything like that. Like you don't go anywhere near it, basically. Um, so, for example, some safeguarding rules are that male teachers can't be on their own with a loan female pupil that kind of thing it's it's not just about punishing them afterwards it's having those things in place so that there's it really lessens the likelihood of any kind of abuse of children and there are certainly surely measures that can be applied technologically on on telegram i mean we see the way that censorship is used against feminists right they're actually very good at it on twitter on facebook You've experienced this quite a lot on Facebook. Um, surely then it would be the case that it was possible on Telegram. I don't, I don't even know if you can really report stuff on Telegram. So You can, I don't so. You can report things, but okay. from my limited knowledge of how their system works, because as usual, we have the problem where they're not being transparent about their system, or at least not to my knowledge. Maybe they, maybe they have, and I just don't know it, but... Uh, it goes to like a bot first, typically, um, before a human sees it. And that's, you know, I actually understand that. that that's for a couple of reasons. Um, people who have done the work of um, deciding what kind of content to remove from social media, for example, have reported PTSD from some of the things that they've seen. So there has been a, an effort to move over to AI for that reason, it's kind of also to protect people from having to see this stuff. But we do know that the AI exists already for, for example, for pornography, because Facebook has gotten better, quite a lot better at filtering out posts about related to pornography. Um, so well, well, if whenever I try to do a post about pornography, critiquing pornography, it won't let me post it because I've mentioned the words porn and OnlyFans together. So it assumes that I'm yes. someone posting, you know, my own account on OnlyFans or saying, hey, everyone, look at this person's profile on OnlyFans. Subscribe. Aren't they great? So it actually does really limit 
what can be said about the topic I, I because I use this absolute algorithm I mean it's still better I suppose than there being pornography available all over Facebook but I mean as soon as you put an asterisk mm-hmm. instead of an r in the word porn you can post your status so there's ways around it <laughs> that's yeah. all I'm saying yeah uh, yeah well as you know I've been I've been banned for eight months out of the past year <laughs> for talking about pornography on Facebook, which is just something I just kind of started to give up on even trying to use it because what's the point at, you know? Um, but yeah, but basically they can do something. This is not an issue of ability. Mm-hmm. It's an issue of motivation. And yeah. it almost seems to me as though there needs to be some kind of department like a, a new sort of government department dedicated to to monitoring social media. Yeah. I mean, now that's just that would probably be put to the police. They would have a digital sex crimes wing, and given the rest of their track record, right. it might be the most might not be the most active office. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I don't know how to solve this problem. I just know that it's been, it's been going on for a really long time. And I would be absolutely shocked if it wasn't already happening on Discord as well. Basically anywhere where you have these uh, data privacy applications like WhatsApp, Telegram, Discord, uh, there's just got to be a, a whole bunch of obscene things going on there um, that we I- won't know the full extent I- of. Yeah, I assume if there's going to be a huge scandal over this, after a wave of scandals, perhaps they'll act. I mean, you said that once BBC got in touch, they decided to, I don't know, well, what could they really do? Have people with the ninth room, the head, the, you know, so-called head Hamilton show, he actually got arrested, right? So with Telegram, did the users just get banned, but then they can just get a new phone or were actual arrests made? As far as I see in this report, it doesn't say that any arrests have been made. And one of the victims that they spoke to, uh, well, she had uh, child abuse content shared of her when she was 13 and kept it kept coming up. It kept being shared again. So it gets taken down once and then it, it just gets recycled again which is part of the problem like you can't have that image deleted if someone downloads it and saves it so it'll just reappear again I actually kind of worry or I don't know if worry is the right word but with the nfts so I don't really understand them totally well but I I would think that if you're able to kind of somehow digitally uh, copyright an image then there might be some way to kind of track an image like this and have it sort of possibly erased in the future like when it's posted that seems something like will be years down the line if we ever get there but um it brings up all of these issues of privacy i mean how do we effectively protect against this while also making sure that people's data isn't monitored by governments for example i I did want to bring up another example of this which was in um So since February last year, Burma has been having a military coup and the women of the garment factories, so textile workers, have been leading the resistance against the military coup. And because of this, because of the fact that they're women, 
basically their opponents have been sharing revenge porn of them. So they're, they're trying to shut down their democratic protests using revenge porn. So it's very easy to see how quickly it can become a huge political problem. I kind of feel like in the future, privacy will become something just for the privileged. I mean, it's very difficult to have privacy online unless you just take yourself offline completely, but then people want to have some sort of online life and engage with the things they're interested in. But it's such treacherous waters for women. Anything can just be weaponized against you, even just your your photo. So for example, a lot of feminists in um, the South Korean radical feminist movement have had just a photo of them, you know, fully clothed, just smiling at the park, whatever, uh, taken from their social media and then placed on into pornography, basically. What's it called? Deep fake. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've had deep fakes created about them. And this used to be something that people used to simply do about celebrities. So I think Jennifer Lawrence is a good example of, of or she's a big example of someone that that's happened to. Um, I think she sued and won. I think it was her. Maybe it was another um, Hollywood actress. But it, it, it used to be that they would do that in order to then, of course, lots of people would watch the video and they'd make money. But you can do that now really to any woman who's present on the internet because you simply impose their face on another you know, poor woman's body who's already being exploited in pornography. And I feel like of course this will be used against women in public life and it makes me start to think how will we have female politicians in the future well it's already been used against uh i believe two two or three i can't remember the exact number but it politicians in taiwan so female politicians in taiwan have had uh deep fake pornography made of them and circulated that's now leading to taiwan cracking down and actually trying to develop some uh, AI or some way to protect against it. It's already happening. And there are bots even now that can generate the deep fake pornography. There was a bot on Telegram again last year. This was reported that there was just an automatic bot. The user would join the chat, put in a photograph of any woman that they could find anywhere. So this could even be from your Facebook profile and drop it into the chat and then it would turn it into a pornographic image. Yeah. And so what you can then do is it's similar to the pyramid scheme that was used for, for Ninth Room or, you know, the, the way the blackmail would begin before the images were sold and then sold on was that you just take, you know, a, a woman's profile picture from Facebook, turn it into pornography, threaten her with it, say, I'll send this to your family. If you don't send me some nudes, real nudes, then once you've got the nudes, you say, well, I'll actually send these to your family as well if you don't and they're much more realistic it's a much greater threat unless you actually unless you send me some you know real um sexual video of you that i'll use as pornography and sell so exactly just, and then they can coerce them uh into rape as well yeah so. which is exactly what what happened and i feel like technology is of course has always been weaponized against women but it's just becoming now the norm and women are, it's becoming normalized to the point where, you know, young women are now being encouraged to, and, and are doing great numbers, you know, starting OnlyFans accounts 
and then linking that to their Instagram so that if you see someone that you think is attractive on Instagram, you can immediately go and see sexual content of that woman who her, herself has put it on because there's a financial reward. But if a young woman does that, it's generally young women, you know, at 19, 22, again, once she's 30 and wants to enter professional life, I, I, there was a case, in fact, that I read about where someone on Reddit had written about how he had looked up a woman that applied for a job, found her previous OnlyFans account, and in fact, informed his bosses of it, and they were going to give her the job, and she didn't end up. And it was it was a well-paid, salaried, professional role. And he was asking, I think it was the Reddit, am I an asshole? Or it's the American one, where people put things that they th- they think they feel guilty about and everyone assesses whether what you did was wrong or right or how wrong it was. And this guy said, oh, I feel really bad about it. And these are exactly the same kind of people. And he said, oh, you know, I usually support sex workers and I have nothing against it, but I just really thought this wasn't the kind of image that the company would want. My bosses agreed with me that it could affect the reputation of our workplace, but now I feel bad. And, you know, he should have felt bad, but this is this is going to be what 10 percent of women in the future, 20 percent of women. So this is this all this stuff is being normalized. And then it's again, it's weaponized against women in their real lives. It's not even just online now. Yeah, with those Reddit posts, I'm not always sure because anyone can just write anything. So I find the comments sometimes to be more useful because the comments on there were actually some of them were supporting him, so. But, but the point is this, this kind of Pandora's box of possibilities has never been around before in the way that, that it's erupted in the last five years. And I can't really see how any of this, <laughs> any of these you know, oh, te- new technological emergencies are really gonna benefit women. Even the stuff we were talking about last week to do with you know, lesbian dating apps. So dating apps that should be exclusively for women, this isn't really benefiting lesbians who actually want to find other lesbians. You know, this whole stuff is kind of contoured against us, unfortunately. Yeah, and I keep bringing this up. Uh, I've said this several times already, so maybe people are tired of hearing me say it, but I mean, we're letting men into women's spaces at the very same time that everyone has a recording device and that, you know, streaming voyeurist porn is just skyrocketing. And I I tend to think that that's not really a coincidence, that there's some motivation there in the political movement. Um, Okay, so in British Columbia, which is a province in Canada, a student pleads guilty to filming a woman in a washroom. So this is a, you know, bathroom in America toilets and actually it was a gender neutral toilets and apparently the police were hesitant to pursue charges so Sari Siam 22 pleaded guilty to one count of voyeurism he was basically putting his phone under the bathroom stalls when a woman was using the loo um this woman, uh, her pseudonym is Taylor. This is the, the woman that reported him. Taylor caught Sam filming her in the gender-neutral washroom in the Commons building on March 10th, 2020. She saw the camera on a white iPhone, pointed up at her from under the stall divider and confronted him. She told the RCMP, this is the Canadian police, she absolutely, want, absolutely wanted to move ahead with charges. 
and that the initial responding officer was supportive. Later, um, the officer started talking about the suspect's background and how a criminal conviction might negatively affect his life. So this woman, Taylor, says he was sort of implying he's been brought up the right way. He mentioned he had a girlfriend, that he was an engineering student with a scholarship, and he kept reiterating that he'll never get a job if I pursue charges. So again, <laughs> a woman goes to the police, you know, she's been a victim of a sexual crime, and the police are actually disencouraging her to pursue it. And it, it just shows how much the police's role is not actually about, I mean, it's about managing crime. But that's not the same as actually solving it. Just think one thing I want to say here, too, because I saw this story as well, is that the uh, officer who was in charge of the case initially, so the man who was encouraging her to to drop the charges, he was mm -hmm. even aware at that time that five to six other victims were involved those victims, they don't actually know that they had been filmed. So it was because he had admitted it that he had filmed five to six others. So possibly a total of seven women that he filmed in this way. And uh, the, the officer was aware of that at the time, according to the CBC report. Right. So <laughs> I'm not sure uh, the police will be cracking down on digital sex crimes anytime soon. But I do hope that eventually becomes a recognized category and I'm sure that it will, will end up being a huge proportion of the, 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 you know, the sexual crimes that are happening to women, right? I mean, again, if we look to Korea, um, a country that's technologically advanced, certainly the UK, the amount of spy cams and, and things of that nature, it's just enormous compared to here, but I'm sure, unfortunately, we're going in the same direction. Well, and a Korean company is the one responsible for the AI technology that allows uh, a single image to be put into a video of deep fake porn. So it was Samsung. Samsung developed that technology in around 20, 2019, I think. Okay. So yeah, their, their technology is um, part of the problem in advancing this. We'll also have the problem of what happens to your likeness and image when you die. That's something that's totally unexplored territory. Well, isn't Should it going to be the same as what happens now to people in media? Someone owns your image. So, for example, Facebook owns my photos, I would guess. Well, there was one case that I saw of this in the state of Utah. So uh, a woman, a university student by the name of Lauren McCluskey, was murdered and um, her photos. So, so basically the police had got hold of some uh, explicit photos of her and were sharing them around amongst themselves uh, for sexual purposes. And uh, the parents had to actually take the police to court over this to, to get kind of their own right to their their dead daughter's photos. And so it established this legal precedent about the ability for family members to intervene on someone's behalf to get their images back. But should we go on to non-swatch? Okay, this is a good time to bring up from one nonce to the next. Yeah, who do we have this week? Okay, so this week we have Christina Richards, who is the uh, clinic 
head of uh, the gender identity clinic, the Tavistock. So now, now this is not the Tavistock clinic for children. I just want to make it clear because there was some confusion about that. Christina Richards is a trans identified man who is the lead psychologist at the gender identity clinic. And he has called for normalizing what's called age play. Age play is a practice, uh, a sexual practice where adults pretend to be children. And then he's also called for normalizing furry fetishes. These were just two examples that he used in sort of a general broad call for destigmatizing sadomasochism. Yeah, he's seeking to depathologize it, right? Exactly. What he likes to say likes to quote the DSM and say, well, this has been taken out of the DSM or this has been declassified to a lower rank of pathology or whatever. And everything from looking at his talks, that's the general direction. Um, what's incredible is this guy is the chair of the British Psychological Society. So the British Psychological Society is, is I think, one of the main if not the main psychological organizations or organizations for psychologists in the UK. And this guy is their chair. Isn't he also the editor of a, of an academic journal? So he was the uh, co-editor of what's called the Palgrave handbook of the psychology of sexuality and gender, um, which was a, a book that I made reference to when I was saying that he's been calling for a general destigmatization of paraphilias altogether. Um, and within that book, there is an argument or a statement that's presented, which says that, you know, the British Psychological Society has argued for the complete, sorry, I should say, quote, complete removal of paraphilias from the DSM, end quote. So I was actually criticized <laughs> On, on Twitter, if you can believe it, <laughs> for talking about this, because they said, so the criticism leveled against me was one, uh, she's comparing BDSM to sadomasochism. That's wrong. Um, okay. What? Sadomasochism is the SM in BDSM. <laughs> I was gonna say, what did they think it meant? Sugar and marshmallows. It was like part of his weird kiddie age play stuff. I mean, I don't, it's very, how could they not know that, that the S&M is, stands for sadomasochism? It's just These are people clearly totally bad faith argument, you know, yeah. uh, the whole, there was like a short thread and, you know, they were calling me a liar um, when I'm directly quoting. Uh, and anyway, BDSM is sadomasochism. It's part of it. The other criticism was that I uh, used quotes from a part of the book that Richards didn't write. Well, <laughs> Richards was the lead editor. So yeah. therefore he obviously agrees with these opinions. So I figured it was okay to say that he uh, was promoting them since he had organized the collection. I mean, why would you organize a collection of articles that you don't agree with? Doesn't make any sense. Third thing I was criticized for was saying that the argument about removing paraphilias from the DSM, they said, oh, that was just presented as an argument. It's not what they're actually saying. And it's an argument coming from the British Psychological Society where Richards is 
a lead psychologist. <laughs> so it would, and this, this criticism got widely shared. I think it had over 200 retweets or something. Who was the critic? Was it a man called Richard Christina by any chance? <laughs> I mean, who was it actually throwing these accusations against, against what you were saying? Oh no! It was it was wrong. some some bald person with he him pronouns. Like I, I didn't know who this person was. You know, I just I saw the criticism and just couldn't believe. And, um, and just to say, right, this guy actually he was the editor in chief of the journal, the British Psychological Society's division of counselling psychology. This guy seems to have a finger in every pie. I mean, he's just one of those men who's like obviously because men have less responsibilities than women, right? Like they don't spend so much of their time looking after the home or kids or whatever, and, you know, relatives. He's just like a walking career CV type. Um, and don't forget, to- don't forget, he's also on the executive board of the European Professional Association for Transgender Health and a board member at large of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And... <laughs> a lead chapter author for the new standards of care from the WPATH. So, I mean, just all over the place. Well, he needs his hard drive checking. And it's no surprise that the the Twitter of the British Psychological Society has recently said that it's okay for psychologists to call their clients sluts or encourage them to think of themselves as sluts. Wasn't there something about that a couple of weeks ago? There was, but that wasn't actually a new guideline, as it turns out. That guideline was issued in 2019, and Richards was the lead, again, the lead on overseeing those guidelines. And the psychologists are encouraged to use the preferred language of gender, sexuality, and relationship diverse people. So it says that they may use reclaimed terms like dyke or slut well, they're quite different terms, but when they say things like diverse relationships, that's a euphemism for fucking kids usually, right? They don't mean mixed race relationships or something like that. I don't know. I, I can't really comment on that. I No, that is what they mean. I'm pretty sure that's a, that's, this in queer theory, that's the euphemism. In, in Gail Rubin's work, uh, when she's talking about pedophilia, basically they'll talk about intergenerational relationships, quote unquote, and they don't mean a millennial that has a fling with a Gen Xer. You know, it's very clear what they mean. Um, Partly because Gail Rubin's, the founding document for queer theory, um, thinking sex, I mean, half of it is an advocacy for paedophilia, basically. But about this guy, Professor Christina Richards, who is a a professor at a private university, so not a real university, let's be clear. Um, Is he really who we're having for nonce watch? I thought we were going to have Scarlet Shadows. I've been very busy, Jen. (laughs) What? What's that got to do with anything? I told you I tried to find a nonce a week. It's been two weeks, so I've got two of them. You've got two of them. Okay, great. Fantastic. (laughs) I didn't actually mean for that to to happen. I was kind of joking last week when I said I'm looking for one a week. It just sort of happened. So yeah, we do have uh, Scarlet Shadows. Great name. This is a man who is really into Marvel movie video um, film, you know, like Mar- the Netflix uh, 
Oh, actually, so, I think this originates from some kind of erotica books, actually. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it just sounds to me like some sort of dog shit Marvel movie about <laughs> Catwoman's older sister who's like, I don't know, supposedly sexier. Scarlet Shadows, the Night Woman. Anyway, so let's talk. Oh, he also goes by Dragon Girl 69. Yeah, that was the that was the screen name that he used when he was talking with undercover FBI agents about abusing kids. So um, okay, so this guy who is 31 years old uh, from Vermont, he identifies as a lesbian teenager. Yeah, and he he was exposed by, as I said, undercover agents who had posted online on a social networking site, uh, basically trying to catch pedophiles. And so they received That's like a rep- your dream job, basically, isn't it? Sorry, that's like your dream job. No, <laughs> we can't I mean, choose what we're good at, Jen. If you, if you Some of us, people, it's just why not. <laughs> For some of us, it's just a full-time hobby. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, I, I'm oh, laughing way, because I'm uncomfortable, by the way. I'm so uncomfortable. Like, I hate it. I hate it. To, um, to mock <laughs> these people. You know, on Facebook, his, his full name is Scarlet Moon Shadows. And he says, he, he describes himself as gothy, girly girl, playful, nature-loving stoner. So and it, I encourage everyone to look this guy up on Facebook. He has some, um, well, his, his posts are public and it's just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. He's just constantly asking for female friends. He's like, any girls in my local area? His drawings are something to behold as well. Oh, his drawings about his mom. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's some good psychological insight in, into that. I, I'm not sure that Doc, so that Professor Christina Richards would be wanting to see the obvious overtones there of drawing his mother as a demon constantly. And the very obviously childish style of the drawing, it's just kind of shocking when you know that this person is, that this guy is 31 years old. Yeah, and trying to meet an 11-year-old off the internet. Right. Oh, right. So we need to finish explaining this part, right? So he... <laughs> He was uh, chatting under the name Dragon Girl 69 with the agents who were basically posing as an 11 year old girl and as the mother. Um, he texted the fake girl saying, uh, your mom wants me to teach you sex stuff and uh, said, we have to keep the relationship a secret. So to the public, I'm gonna be your nanny but when we're home, we're girlfriends. It's just so we don't get in trouble. Uh, when you're not a minor, we can express our love in public. Okay, he wrote. So he wrote that to the agents. Yeah. Then he drove up to New York and uh, was arrested on January 26th when he went there uh, with condoms. Oh, the interesting thing about this too, also, Jen, is that the U.S. Department of Justice, when they issued their report, about this made no reference whatsoever to him being male or having a transgender status. It was entirely female. So part of the reason why there was a kind of a delayed response on this is, is because of that. This was presented as though, as though he was actually a woman. And has he been sentenced? 
So not yet, because he was just arrested in what, three weeks ago, January, end of January. Um, oh if, it, can I just say in August, he was trying to sell his criminology books on Facebook. <laughs> and so this guy's been doing his research, basically, like how to not be caught by the police. I'll read some criminology books. My God. Sorry, I'm just looking at his Facebook. Carry on. I missed that. I missed that somehow. I was skimming through and I saw lots of um, posts about I need a girlfriend or someone be my cuddle buddy or things like that. Um, but yeah, but if he gets if he is convicted, then the sentence will be a minimum of 10 years up to life in prison. I don't actually think he'll get life in prison. But anyway, Mm. He he's one of his states. He said he puts, if anyone wants to stay in touch with me, probably better off either asking for my number before someone else tries to get in my panties because I'm getting that annoyed when I'm single. It's like nobody says anything to me. Then when I'm taken, it's like every few days, some random person wants to exchange nudes. It's an absolute lie. I can guarantee this is a lie. Nope. I'm in a very happy relationship about to get married soon. No room for anyone else in the relationship. Just us two. So goodbye, Facebook people. <laughs> I'm sure no one, no one interacts with this guy. This is like such an obvious like um, reverse psychology beg. Like, oh, please, world, stop sending me nude photographs. <laughs> anyway, please, it's great. Please it's stop sending me money, everyone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like such a suggestive. <laughs> please stop thinking I'm incredibly attractive, world. It's, uh, it's definitely raising raising the question. So yeah, his, uh, his Facebook is something else. And again, you know, this is what we keep saying. This is what we've been saying is how this ideology just opens up the door to this for all of these lunatics to latch on to it. You know, I would even argue that the ideology is lunacy in itself but i mean it does just fling open the door wide open for 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 him to say you know that he identifies as a middle he calls it a middle which he mm -hmm. describes as identifying as a teenager oh i see i thought it was going to be like between the middle of sanity and insanity or something <laughs> yeah i mean it just emboldens these people and makes them so confident and as soon as these men these perverts say oh you know i'm trans whatever they this can possibly mean oh i'm trans it just means i'm trying to move my behavior beyond criticism and i think there's a real we really need to re-stigmatize being a pervert being a pedophile we need to put all these things back in the dsm or back in whatever book it is the psychological guidelines that means you're a danger you're crackers and your hard drive should be seized you should you know whatever it is you know this guy was so obviously um a sex pest towards women i i also think from his facebook it's pretty clear that he's a pedophile lo and behold he grooms who he thinks is an 11 year old online to go and meet for rape right that's why he took condoms i uh, wanted to rape a child i just i just find it incredible that this happens in you know um plain sight i have a proposal i've thought about this <laughs> my proposal is that all policymakers and authority figures should have a random hard drive check 
every year. Police should have their hard drives checked. Judges, anyone who's making laws and policies should have their hard drives checked. You, you know, boxers and UFC fighters, they all have drug tests randomly. It's It makes complete sense that we would do a similar thing with hard drive sweeps, hard drive checks, you know, random an annual or whatever for politicians or anyone engaged in anything to do with legislating around sexuality, which is ultimately what, you know, this Christina Richards guy is trying to do. He's trying to create a culture whereby destructive and harmful forms of sexuality are normalized so that they, they're, they're more permitted. And people like Scarlet Shadows, you know, men like that will get in much less trouble. I find it interesting that women can be reported for hate speech on Twitter or even permanently banned for things like a pronoun. But mm-hmm. I, when I accidentally stumble upon a pedophile, a very obvious pedophile on social media, I don't have sufficient recourse. I can lodge a complaint possibly with Twitter or with whatever uh, company it is, but I'm not assured that the, the company will then go to the police. Do you know what I mean? So it almost seems as though, well, I mean, it is as though women are punished for, for speech, but we don't have any recourse against the sexual predators who are being obvious sexual predators. We should be able to say, hey, look at this. Why don't you go check his hard drive? looks to me like you should yeah well it's just this fact that even this idea that speech is a, is a greater crime than action than action right i mean this is the whole debate about cancel culture it's really bizarre that people are being cancelled for the things they say and not so much for the things they do when obviously there's much greater <laughs> implications for the, the the things that people actually carry out but yeah i mean almost everything I've ever reported on Facebook to do with really, I, th- I think, you know, stuff that shouldn't be on Facebook, basically. Um, I, th- I came across a video once of some young girls that were basically like being terrorized in a park and it had a kind of sexual part of the video where like their t- one of their tops was ripped off. And I reported it to Facebook and said, these girls look about 14. This is violence. It shouldn't be on Facebook. Nothing happened. It's just and it's just totally bizarre the completely opposite way that feminists are treated compared to people posting this kind of, of content. Or worse content, right? Actual pornography and child pornography on Twitter. Um, the last thing I just want to mention is so it came to light that a man who had previously identified as a lesbian and had the only lesbian representative removed from Baltimore's LGBTQ commission in 2018, he has now quote unquote detransitioned without announcement. So he's just started being a guy again. Uh, At the time, he was also awarded somewhere in the ballpark of $90,000 worth of grants for projects that he was working on, one of which was supposed to be a housing project. Seems to me like nothing ever really came out of those projects that he was supposedly working on. And it was a grift. This is all a grift. 
exactly. <laughs> um, oh, yes, I forgot to mention too, when he was on the commission. So when he was actually on the LGBTQ commission for Baltimore, he was part of the Baltimore Trans Alliance and an event that that group hosted advertised, quote, uh, turfs will be hung by their necks, end quote, in reference to an event that they were hosting. Yep. Standard, unsurprising trans rhetoric, unfortunately. So this guy's on Instagram, by the way. So he's getting mauled by feminists in the comments on his Instagram. And his name is Coda Pitone. Pitone? Yeah, but now he's changed his username because he was getting found by so many feminists. So I just want to make sure everyone has it. It's K-O-D-A-H underscore P-I-P if anyone would like to go and leave a comment. And he has all the photos from when he was clearly on some sort of, I think he was probably on hormones or he was making some, I mean, barely an effort actually, all the way until May 2021. And it seems since then and he's done the classic thing of turning 30 and deciding that actually all of this is you know it's not as lucrative as he thought it was going to be and he's kind of maxed out any benefit he was going to get from um this performance couple of things so first of all his real name is john francis pipitone uh, other thing, I do think he was taking estrogen because his recent photos, his selfies that he's posted in the last uh, couple months or so, he calls himself a biohacker. Then he also insinuates that he's been reversing, sorry, that he's been aging in reverse. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I see a lot with the, uh, with the pornography or with the fetishists who will start taking estrogen is that they'll say it gives them quote unquote girl skin. So it, mm. it actually does. Um, there's been some research showing that when men take estrogen, it does have a um, more youthful effect on their skin simply because women's skin tends to have more fat and is you know thinner than men's skin. So I, because of those posts that he made, I think he was taking estrogen and again, you know, solely for the purpose of biohacking, as he calls it. Do you mean women have thicker skin than men? No, men have thicker skin. That's why they they tend to wrinkle more, particularly particularly on the forehead. Men will have thicker skin. Those women actually have thinner skin and more um, fat under the epidermis, I believe. Yeah, I mean, this guy's forehead is not doing great. I, you're right. He he has one where he puts 19 years old, 22 years, 32 years in that order. I think I'm doing the whole linear time thing wrong. No, no. <laughs> I mean, he's just chosen a photo where he thinks he looks younger, basically, in the last one. But it's so it's so sort of ludicrous, this uh, and narcissistic, right, that he's kind of now admitted that this was one of the things he was trying to do was just look more youthful um, for longer yeah that's actually something that's something of a trend that i've noticed on social media uh, especially posts on reddit where men will talk about micro dosing estrogen i kid you not right um it is true that whenever i see women start to take testosterone online they do age dramatically sometimes they'll look half a decade a decade older just within a year or two so 
it's pretty clear that I, yeah, I think that testosterone does the opposite of, of estrogen, but I mean, this guy just seems like a nutcase, honestly. Um, I wonder if anyone, I, I imagine he's just abandoned whatever he was doing in Baltimore. I think that, you know, like uh, are people even aware of it? I'm so glad that Redux have covered this because this is what tends to happen is that people do this in their 20s and then they detransition quietly in their 30s. Women tend to drop offline um, when they do that. But generally women drop offline in their kind of once they're over 30 in much greater numbers. Whereas this guy <laughs> clearly feels the need to document himself and his attempt to be Benjamin Button. So he has all the photos on from all of his um, years of claims claiming to be a woman and now lots of him now with facial hair sat on motorbikes doing kind of hyper masculine poses yeah so he relocated actually it's he's got some kind of office listed in dc on and this is his website i'm not doxing him but he's got all this information out there and on his personal website now he calls himself an ambassador of the future let us build structures to stabilize emergent intelligence within the culture towards the optimal near future. And, and in, in that ludicrous sentence, he is bastardizing a once proud language. I mean, how much more <laughs> can you desecrate the English language in some there's, meaning? There's possible? more. It's really, it's really cool. The future is ancient. Plants are food. All is sound. Presence, alignment, action. Evolving through androgyny and back again and again. I love the way that, that this idea that you can just self-narrate and just be like, oh no, I've just turned a new corner. This is just part of my new narrative. It's like, wait, I thought before you were predicating your own narrative on being absolutely a woman somewhere deep down inside your soul. But now suddenly we're all meant to forget that. And that's, you know, Oh, well, that was yesterday. That's not the future. I thought you said the future was yesterday. No, I'm just saying things. I can just say <laughs> what I want. And unfortunately, that's true, right? That's how these men are treated is they're just never challenged. Whether you're being like, yeah, a macho guy now who's taking a plane with one of his bros to the Amazon, it looks like, on holiday, um, sat on his Harley, growing a goatee. Uh, and then, you know, feels absolutely no shame of the fact that you know, a couple of years ago, he was kicking actual lesbians out of, um, you know, LGBT boards or whatever it was. Yeah, and seemingly no self-awareness or regret for causing em severe emotional distress to women in the process of his journey. Well, that's the thing, though, the, the degree to which men are allowed to, to reinvent themselves. So if a man comes out as gay, at 65, a really good example is um, a television presenter called Philip Schofield. He's on morning TV during the week. He came out as gay, I think he's about 60, 65. And it was actually just because a 17 year old was gonna sell a story on him that Philip Schofield had contacted him over TikTok or Twitter or something like that. And was, you know, lining them up to have some kind of, lining him up to have some kind of hookup. And so it was because he was about to get outed for soliciting. I mean, I know a 17 year old here is legal, but I mean, I think that the age of consent should be 18. I think a 17 year old counts as a child. In my book, he's a nonce. Regardless, I don't care um, that the law allows it in this country. 
um, he then came out as gay. No one said, but wait, you've been married to some poor woman you've been lying to for 35 years, Philip. So the amount that men can just reinvent, I think women are in the opposite direction, never allowed to. So if a woman changes her mind about something, say, I don't know, she's a liberal feminist and then she becomes a socialist feminist or whatever it is. It's always like, oh, well, now you're a hypocrite. Now you didn't really mean what you said. And it's like, no, just you're allowed to develop as a person um, in terms of your ideas, whereas men are allowed to make absolute claims about who they are and then change them in a, in a year's time and no one even brings it up. Whereas, you know, yeah, the things that are allowed to, to develop, things like ideas or what your interests are or what you think about a certain topic, women are always kind of scolded for changing their minds on things. And I just, I find it interesting just how differently men and women are always treated about this idea of, of whether you're a reliable narrator of yourself. Well, in particular too, in this case, the, the claim being made to, not to his own identity, but to someone else's, he's claiming women's identity. And for some reason that doesn't seem to matter because women's identity is just something that's supposed to be free for men to take or, or do with as they please, right? Right, and that's what Lacan meant when he said, there's no such thing as a woman. He wasn't meaning it literally though, trans activists have taken a lot of post-structuralist work and said oh look <laughs> this is all literal he meant that in discourse in the way that we think about things um women are not seen as sovereign or their own particular um subjective form basically not seen as a, a subject he has this idea that women are a kind of unsubject or no subject um and seen only only regarded as a subject through male desire. Again, he's not meaning to, to valorize any of this or say it's good or that it's literally true, but I do think that he's onto something there when he says that when people think a lot of the time of a woman, that there is this instability or somehow that women have less of a foundation as to who they are than, than men do. And then you see it in the fact that, you know, Bruce Jenner can come out at what was it 67 72 say he's a woman and no one brings up the last 50 years or does he get any of his olympic medals Removed. anything exactly revoked <laughs> you know <laughs> sir <laughs> sir oh, i'm sorry ma'am you were competing illegally in the men's division do you know that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but you know what they do they wouldn't revoke them they'd probably transfer them over to the women's and be like oh well the new women's um record for high jump is whatever he you know he won it as in 1975 but a woman just decides like she's not vegetarian anymore and she'll get you know crucified by at least someone if she tweets about that yeah, it just seems in general there's a huge double standard of what women are afforded and what men are afforded, especially in terms of personal growth, mistakes, and women tend to be kind of sacrificed at the altar of men's personal journeys or development. Yeah, yeah. so women are not allowed their own subjectivity, and if they dare develop one, they're either robbed of it um, or it's uh, it's decried. and actually thinking of that kind of thing about you know whether women's subjectivity when women are alone I have a final thought on the dating the lesbian dating app 
issue that we were discussing last week about so many lesbians being kicked off apps. So I have a solution. My solution is Tinder. And isn't there like a Facebook dating thing now? So if you haven't been kicked off Facebook, surely you can, people can use that. And then my, my other suggestion is Tinder, which I believe pretty much doesn't kick anyone off for anything. I think you could probably sell your dog on Tinder. And I know that there's a reputation around Tinder that it's just for hookups. But as far as I don't think women use it for this. I mean, not in my experience, though. My advice to lesbians being um, <laughs> removed left, right and centre from the, the lesbian dating apps that have been developed would be to go to the original one, which is Tinder. Or this new Facebook dating thing. I don't know anyone that um, has done that, so I can't give it much of a even anecdotal review. But those are my suggestions that I thought of uh, after last week. Uh, didn't you have code words that you were saying that you use when you, you want to signal? I used to put GCRF because then other gender critical radical feminists would recognize it, but no one else would. The other thing that apparently women are doing, and I don't think this is just lesbians on dating apps, is they're putting their Hogwarts house. You know, this silly thing where you can take a test and find out what house you're in. And obviously I'm head girl of... Um, Slytherin and I don't know if you've done the test but surely you're a Hufflepuff I'm not a Hufflepuff <laughs> look 90% of people are Hufflepuffs but they think they're Gryffindor <laughs> no I my... think I'm Ravenclaw what are you talking about <laughs> okay all right so you're Ravenclaw so basically to signal that perhaps you're a feminist women are putting a, a kind of Harry Potter reference in their profiles which I think is a pretty pretty low-key way though I might actually just judge them for being an adult that reads children's books to be honest unless I got it unless I thought oh that's the reason for putting it um maybe that would click I don't know but I, it seems like a pretty good tactic to avoid the censor the other thing I was going to say is if you've listened uh, all the way to the end, please share this episode on your Facebook, on your Twitter, email it to your mother, whoever you think might be interested, because we got, was it over 500 listens next, last time? Maybe we'll get over a thousand this time, or at least, you know, go in the right direction in terms of listenership figures. Yeah. And if you have any suggestions for something that you think we ought to talk about, feel free to get in touch with either one of us on Twitter. And if you'd like to see whether Genevieve really is a Ravenclaw posing as a Hufflepuff, please send in your arguments so that I can relay them to her next time. Uh, I'm definitely Ravenclaw. Okay. So, okay, you self-ID as Ravenclaw. All right. Yes, yes. It's, it's a fact. Thanks again for tuning in. I just want to reiterate that you can send suggestions for anything that you think Jen and I should discuss that's related to the news, and you can send those comments to me on Twitter at WomenReadWomen or to Jen at LesbianLabor.